for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Last week we started our series on 1 Peter. And we saw that Peter's intention in writing his book was to prepare his people for suffering. Or actually to show people how to live through suffering and to come out as pure gold. We saw last week that Peter's way of doing this was by reminding them who they are and whom they are called to love. They are elect exiles through the working of the Trinity who have been given a living hope. Elect exiles was the title of my sermon last week, which once again, I'll state this over and over again in case anybody wants to turn their, create a band or something, that elect exiles is the best name ever for a band. And once again, if you do start this band and you're very successful, I would love a royalty. Yes. <laughs> you see, our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our identifying country. America is not our forever home. And when you're not from a country, you can be one of many things. Most common in America is what we think of as what we call an immigrant. That was my parents. They were immigrants here from South Korea. They chose to make America their new home. They learned the culture. They somewhat assimilated. My parents somewhat assimilated. They're very still Korean. But they made this place their forever home. It was a joyous occasion for them, actually, when they became American citizens. My parents will often tell me when they go back to Korea to go visit their family or if they go back to visit somebody, they'll go back. When they go to Korea, they feel like this place is weird. This is different. This is, this is not their home either. And they don't see it as such. They were immigrants. They came to America. My parents have been in America for about, how old am I? 38 years. So they've been in America for a while. So this is their forever home now. This is, they've immigrated to this country. This is their forever home. Korea is no longer their home. They think it's different. They go back. They're like, oh, it's a good place to visit. They're now a tourist when they go to Korea. And that's another option you have when you visit a country. You can be seen as a tourist. The last time I left the U.S., I actually embraced this fully. You see, when I was young, when I would travel, I used to like not want to be the tourist. You know, I wanted to be the guy that's, oh, I'm just like a local. You know, I eat the local food and I don't act like a tourist when I'm around. But this last time I went, I just embraced it. I'm like, I'm a tourist. I, me and Gina had our cameras out around our necks. You know, we, we put Josiah in like his Switzerland shirt so he looks like a tourist. You know what I'm saying? Nobody buys that shirt. Nobody who lives in Switzerland actually wears a Switzerland shirt. You know, but we're like Switzerland shirt on Josiah, camera around our neck. I, I, I wish I had like a, one of those fanny packs out, you know. I, would, I, was, I was like, I don't even care anymore. This is awesome being a tourist, taking pictures of like a sign, you know. We, we embraced being tourists to the full. Because that's what you do. When you're somewhere only for a little bit of time, you want to soak up the experience, right? You want to be like, this is it. I'm only here for a certain amount of days. We were only there for like three days. And Gina and I were like, well, better three days than zero days, I guess. So we're like, let's soak it up. We had the maps out to all the sites that we wanted to see. I mean, we look like ultimate tourists, stereotypical tourists. And I didn't care. And when you do that, when you go, you don't, you don't care about the welfare of that nation. I'll be honest with you, honestly, I was like, man, I actually would rather that nation not be doing well, so it's cheaper. You know, because you're only there for like three days, you're only there for a moment, you just go in there and you're just kind of like, I don't care what's going on, I just want to take my pictures, look at beautiful things, and soak up my experience. You don't care about what's happening there, because you're going to say toodles, you're going to say bye in a little bit. 
<laughs> I was a tourist. Now here's the deal, most Christians in America can fit into these two options when it comes to this idea of living here, when our citizenship is in heaven. Where they're often like immigrants. They'll often come to be in part of this world and they'll assimilate to the world. They see this as their forever home. They see this life here on this earth as their forever life. They don't see their citizenship as being in heaven. They see this as their new home. Or they might come and live like tourists. This world is not my home, so I'm just passing through, so don't mind me. You know, the world can be burning around. I don't care about the welfare of the world around me. I'm just happy to have my little group and take pictures of everybody else being doing bad things. And be like, oh, look how terrible life is for you. Or I don't care about you. I don't care about this world because I'm going to say toodles in a little bit. I'm going to say bye. But there is a third way to live in this world. And this is the way Peter is talking about here, is to live as an elect exile. The Jewish people were called elect exiles. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in his welfare you will find your welfare. So the elect exiles were to seek the welfare of the city, to live amongst but never forgetting their identity and true citizenship is in heaven. I liken this to the diplomat in civilization. Anybody ever played civilization? Nobody? You've never played civilization. How old am I? Like computer game civilization? Nobody? Thank you, David. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and wipe out that whole illustration right now, just because of that. That breaks my heart. I need to start changing my illustrations. I need to get younger. I need to play new, new, newer video games. <laughs> the, the, well, I'm not going to go into it. It's going to take too long to describe who it is then. The, the call for us is to be, seek the welfare of the city, to go in as elect exiles, to be people who are representative of a different nation, very similar to what, somewhat of an ambassador. It's our desire is to say, listen, this is not our forever home. We represent a different kingdom. We're coming in, and we want to look like, represent, live like, and look like that king. Because we want you to see it. But make no, I'm not lying, I'm not going to hide behind this fact. I truly want this, and our desire is this, I believe that's calling is this, is I want to see God's very rule and reign cover the earth. In some ways, it's just going to be one of those situations where people are like, well, you know, as a diplomat, are you, you trying to conquer our city? Yes, we are. I'm going to say that again. This might sound weird. But yes, we are. But we're not coming with swords and a catapult. We're not coming with ladders and siege weapons. We're coming the way Jesus came and the way he conquered, by dying, by sacrificing himself. And we're going to rule and reign and we're going to advance the kingdom and extend the kingdom of God, not the way all civilizations used to, but we're going to do it the way Jesus did it and the way he's called us to do it, by making image bearers and disciples. Our desire is as we seek the welfare of the city is to do it the way Jesus did it. We want to see his rule and reign. And I want you to hear this very clearly. I don't want you to miss this. 
And you've heard me say this before, but at, back in the ancient Near East, this time period, what would happen was when people would want to show the reign of the king, the reigning suzerain, the reigning emperor, the reigning king of kings or the lord of lords, whoever was over all the other vassals in the area, what he would show is this land is ruled by um, King Joy or Queen Joy. And what would happen was Joy would then would have statues made of her all over. Her face would be on the money. Her face would be on on the side of buildings, her face would be on, in statues, and would they make images of her to show this is where her reign is. This is where her rule and reign exists. And so when God, at the very beginning in Genesis, when he made man in his image, what he was saying is, this is my dominion. You are ruling and you're reigning. When he's called them to subdue the earth, that is what he's saying. And when he calls them to multiply and be fruitful and subdue the earth, what he's literally saying is advance the kingdom. And when Jesus then later on, get this, this is incredible stuff. When Jesus later on says, go and make disciples, he's literally saying, go and make more images of me. Because we're more images of me. That's where my rule and reign exists. And where my rule and reign exists is where the fatherless have a father. Justice flows in the streets and grace and mercy is poured out. Guys, I don't want you to miss this. It's the way we advance this kingdom. The way the kingdom of Jesus has always advanced, has never been through swords and guns and warfare, has always been through sacrificial living, living and looking like Jesus so that others can live and look like Jesus. We make images of God. Do you hear that? And so we, as elect exiles on this earth, that's what we're called to do. We live sacrificially. We are exiles who seek the welfare of the city. We'll see this in 1 Peter 1.13, where we just read. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You guys know when you see a therefore in the Bible, that is something important, right? Or to look back at a little bit, like a key turning point. Anybody ever heard that trick? Not really a trick. Uh-huh, she's actually right. <laughs> There's a therefore, you see what it's there for. So you need to look back to get it. See, the mood of this letter changes at this point. Throughout the preceding section, there's an indicative mood has been used almost exclusively to offer a factual statement, basically, of the situation that the Christians have as they experience the grace of God that leads to salvation. So the whole mood is indicative. It's been, this, this is your situation. You have a living hope. You've been saved in the Trinity. This is your hope that's imperishable. This is who you are. Your identity is found to, to, to be elect exiles, to have a living hope in Christ, to no purpose. This is who you are, to love Jesus. That's the indicative. But Peter is saying then, because here there's a change. Peter said, because you are elect exiles with a living hope, we need to be prepared for action. It changes from the indicative to the imperative. It changes from this is who you are to a command. The Greek here says to gird up. Does anybody know what that means, to gird up your mind? To gird up. Anybody? I actually use that phrase. I like that phrase. I can use it more often. You know? I'm going to tell my wife, let's go somewhere to gird up. <laughs> yeah? I'm, I'm going to start using that a lot more often. I love that phrase, gird up. Seriously, from now on, anywhere we go, remind me. I've got to use that. But it's actually kind of a very picturesque statement. Um, the men and women of those days don't wear what we wear today. They weren't wearing jeans. They're not wearing shirts. They're wearing actually more like flowing robes, right? And flowing robes were not conducive to the strenuous action. You know, it's not easy to run in flowing robes. They weren't good for running and jumping, climbing. To get, they got in the way. 
See, when you wanted to prepare yourself for action, what you had to do is kind of pull together all the loose robes and kind of wrap it up and down and, and then take which girded you, which was like a belt, like a sash. That's what girds you. So take all your loose robes and kind of stuff it into the belt. Does that make sense? You guys see the picture here? That's what it means to gird up. So you kind of, you know, getting your legs bare and you're loosened up and all put down into the, into the belt so you're ready for action. This is what you do when you're getting ready for strenuous action. This is a statement. It's like, hey, go get ready to play ball. You know, like, oh, we're not getting ready to go play ball. I have to go get some basketball shorts on and, you know, because I'm not going to play basketball in jeans because it's uncomfortable. This is what you do and says, hey, go, you know, <laughs> this is actually a silly illustration. But I'm going to say it anyway because I like it. This is what you do before, you know, something difficult or hard is about to come your way. Before you're about to do something that's difficult. So it's like telling Gina, she's about to have a baby. I'm like, gird up. <laughs> I think actually Gina and I went to, uh, what's that place called? We were inducing labor and we went to a bagel place on 9th. I can't remember the name of it. Whatever. We went to a bagel place on 9th. And right before we went to the hospital, we were inducing labor. And I remember this was like our girding up session. We're like, all right, Gina, you can do this. Get pumped up. Here's our last bagel as a, as a non-family with children. I don't know what it's called. But we're like, this, this is our moment where we're kind of pumping each other. We're, we're getting girded up for this. It implies strenuous, difficult action. But what action is it saying? Verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It is literally saying, gird up, get ready, get for strenuous action, because now the action is to be holy. Peter is saying to live as elect exiles, you need to gird up, be sober-minded, so that you can be holy. To be holy is the imperative, it's the command. What does that mean? What it actually means is to be separate. That's the word holy there, means to be separate. It's the Hebrew word kodosh, to be cut off to be cut loose, to be separate. It means to be different, it means to be separated. Now here's the problem that we have right here. This is a difficult concept for us, because you see, holy for, is not, for us is not a command, right? When we think of the word holy, we do not think of it as something that we can do. Am I, am I right? This is not something that we can do. We think of God's holy, but, so we want to be holy, but how do we be holy when God is holy? Holy is something that you are, not something that you do. Does that make sense? How is this a command? How do you say gird up for it? How do we get prepared for it? How do we kind of work ourselves up to it? It doesn't make any sense to me. Or maybe to us at first. Remember last week when I said that the word for elect modifies the word for exile. Right? Do you guys remember that? So in other words, I was saying that what made us exiles is that we were elect. So we are exiles. In other words, we're cut off. We're separate. We're holy because we're elected to be so. Not on any merit that we had on our own, but called and made elect by a gracious God. In verses 18 and 19, it says we were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. So in other words, our identity as an exile is found that while we deserve nothing, Jesus died and ransomed us that we can become his people, holy in the sight of God. Don't miss this. Jesus Christ purchased our holiness. We are elect exiles a holy nation set apart for God because of the incredible work of Jesus. 
Now, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know where your home is, if you don't know your citizenship, if you don't know your identity, let me tell you that the Bible says that those who call on the name of the Lord will be, sa- will be saved. Guys, I want you to hear me very clearly on this. I say this over and over again. That the human condition is that we want to be known, we want to be loved, and we crave purpose. And in knowing this, this is the answer to this idea that we are called exiles because we are elect. We're called elect because God in his great mercy sent Jesus down to live the life of holiness, of love, of law that we could never fulfill, we could never live, but then he died the death. He died the death that we all deserve in our sinfulness. So that those who call on him can be saved. And what that means, literally, the good news of that is that it is now no longer my identity, my record, my clothes of righteousness. Instead, it is Jesus' righteousness on me, his death in my place. Guys, I want you to not miss this. The good news is that while religion says if you work hard, you, you do good works, that maybe one day God will look at you and says, oh, the scales are somewhat balanced. You're a little better than you were bad, so maybe you'll go to heaven. But the good news of the gospel is that God is love and infinite grace for you. said, while you could not fulfill this, I sent my son to die in your place so that when I look at you, I see righteousness. I see holiness. That I know you and I love you. And I'll call you to purpose. And for those of you in this room who may not know this, if you're sitting here in this place and you truly are looking to discover who am I, can I tell you that you can be known and you can be loved in Jesus Christ and called to incredible purpose. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So as elect exiles, in one instance, We are already called holy because we were already set apart because of what Jesus did. So as people, guys, get this. You're elect exiles. I want you to not miss this. That means you're holy. I'll say that again. You are holy. Say, I am holy. holy. Say that again. I am holy. holy. Thank you. But then Peter says for us to gird ourselves to be holy like God is holy. I don't understand. Because we are holy, right? Because the holiness is set apart, because we're elect, we're holy, we're set apart, we're, we're a holy nation unto God, then why does Peter then say, be holy? Right? Confusing, isn't it? The Bible is so confusing, but it's also so incredible. I often liken this to adoption. You know, you guys all know that Gene and I are in the process of adoption. Um, we're about, about 80% done with all the paperwork stuff, and we're waiting to get matched, and we're so excited about adopting. We just can't wait. And we don't know if we're going to get a little baby girl or a baby boy or a little, I want to say baby, could be, I don't know, like anywhere from between like birth to three or four. So we don't know. We don't know what age child that we're going to be blessed with. I'm excited. I really want a little girl. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I was at Eden Danica's house last night, and they had Malaya there, and she was like, tuck me in. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then she was like, hug and sing. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> My son's like, eh. <laughs> My son's like, where's mom? You know, like, I mean, I'm like, oh, I need a girl so bad. I can't wait. <laughs> but when I adopt a child, that child will be mine. He or she will be a you officially and forever. My child. All inheritance and gifts for that child, completely my child. Full identity, mine. 
but there is something else that will be happening. You see, that child is going to start resembling me in life and deeds. Little nuanced things like maybe a tilt of the head or the things we laugh at. Maybe the way they communicate. Maybe even bigger things like values and ethics and mission. You see, the child is mine in adoption, full and completely. Mine forever. There's never any changing that. That child will be mine to the end of time. I'll never lose that. But as the child lives with me, grows with me, that child's going to be walking in my, likely, my likely, likeliness. My child's going to be walking in the way I walk and live. That's a, kind of a byproduct of living together, isn't it? It's kind of a byproduct. You see that. I, I love it when I meet people and I see their children or they meet their parents and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Not only do you look like them, but even the way you laugh sounds exactly like you, you're just like your dad or you're just like your mom. And Gina and I laugh all the time when we talk about when Josiah is just like us in whatever way. Right? Typically, Gina likes to use it when he does something bad. It's like, oh, you're just like your dad. But there's something there, isn't there? And guys, that's what it's like to, when we talk about holiness, is that we are holy. We're set apart. We are beloved. We are looked upon and says, yes, you are righteous. You are mine forever. You're set apart from me. You're holy. You're my child. You are a holy nation as elect isles. That is your identity. That is who you are. Never forget that. Remember last week, I said, how do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with trials and tribulation? What's the first thing you need to do? Not pray for it to end. Not pray for good circumstances. Those are not the things that will answer your suffering. What will turn you into pure gold is remembering who you are. You're beloved. You're called holy and righteous. That's who you are. That will never change. But something amazing happens as you're living in that. Something incredible happens as you're living in this household with God. You start being holy. Like he is holy. You start resembling him. You start living and looking like him. You start talking like him. The Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart, and all of a sudden, you're just kind of like, oh, I can be more loving, and I can be more gracious, and I can be more gentle, and I can be long-suffering, and I can be patient. And you say, wow, this is what Jesus is like. And the Father in heaven is saying, yep, that's it. Just like whenever we look at our son and say, yep, he looks like you, honey. He, he acts like you. That's like you. That's what it means to be holy. Now, this is a serious thing because when it's to be holy, when we bear the image, we're, we are looking and living like the Father. We're sharing and advancing his kingdom. This quote that Peter is quoting here, it says, be holy as I am holy, as he is holy. It's literally out of Leviticus. And it's quoted f- actually four to five times in Leviticus, this same quote, be holy as he is holy. Be holy as he is holy. Four or five times in Leviticus, it's literally talking to the, the nation of Israel. It says, for you shall be holy, for I am holy. And it's saying that the nation is called to be set apart. The nation is called to be holy. And in doing so, when they walk in holiness as a nation, their purpose was lived out. You guys, I want you to understand that the, the nation of Israel was meant to be a blessing to other nations. It says that when God spoke to Abraham, right? Father Abraham, you guys know who he is? That was another joy that I got to experience at Ian and Danica's house last night. I love Father Abraham, the song, and I haven't heard that in a while. But we did it, and Malai was dancing. It was wonderful. But Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, right? I am one of them. So are you. 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. <laughs> right arm. But um, <laughs> we were a holy nation. Father Abraham was given this mission to said to be a blessing to the nations. See, he was given a covenant, and in this covenant, God said, I will be your great reward. You will have me, and I will be your treasure. But also it said that you will be a blessing to the nations. Guys, when we live as holy nation, when we live as holy elect exiles, we are a blessing to the nations. I'll say that again. When we live as a holy nation, we are a blessing to the nations because what happens is what holiness means is that we're separate. What holiness means is that we're set apart. What holiness means that we're image bearers of Jesus because Jesus is our ultimate example. He's the paragon of holiness. He is the epitome of holiness. He is our example of holiness. So when we live and act and walk like Jesus, then we are by, by default a blessing to the nations. Guys, fleshed out for you guys now is this. Guys, do you strive for holiness? Or are you just sitting there content that said, once for all, Jesus paid the price, not knowing that a byproduct of knowing and being called elect exiles is to be called a holiness? Do you hear me? See, this is a difficult concept because for a lot of us, we sit here and a lot of us have issues because we think, um, you know, the holiness thing is purchased by Jesus because I can't ever accomplish it on my own. So we kind of have this like, it's all about grace. So, okay, I'm not even going to worry about trying to be holy. Right? Some of us then go the opposite way. We're like, I got to be holy, got to be holy. It's all on my effort. And I got to strive really hard and be holy, be holy, be holy. And you miss it. Holiness is given to you as a gift by grace. That's who you are. That's your identity. You're set apart. You're purchased by Jesus. But because of a, as a beloved child and who resembles and looks like your father, you start living and fleshing out holiness. You want to look more like him because you know as you walk in holiness, you are a blessing to the nations. Do you see it? Do you see the difference there? Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I don't want you to confuse this message to be so uber grace that we don't believe in holiness and so uber holiness that you don't, we don't believe in grace. I believe in the fullness of grace and the fullness of holiness. Does that make sense? Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. I'm going to stop there. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How is it, and I just love it, I think it's so fitting, that right after talking about be holy, as he's holy, and we just share that this is a blessing to the nations as a holy nation, it says love one another. Right? Can I tell you that one of the reasons I think so often the church has been weak in being a blessing to the nations, one of the reasons the church's voice has been watered down and diminished in the nation and in our culture is because we haven't loved one another well. Can I say that again? One of the reasons that our church has been diminished, the churches have been diminished in our culture and our society, diminished as a blessing, is because we haven't loved one another well, and we haven't looked like Jesus, we haven't been holy. We haven't lived as if we were holy. Do you hear me? Guys, can I tell you that if we as a holy nation would understand that we're called to such holiness, and then called, and that holiness fleshed out looks like love for one another. 
That holiness fleshed out looks like love for another. It looks like in chapter 2, putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Could you imagine what would happen if we actually did that? Putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander actually look like set apart, separate people. Church, hear me very well. I honestly think the world of you guys. I look around and I I see you guys and I love the way you love. I love the way you serve. The way you guys look like Jesus and point me to Jesus makes my heart like just want to explode with like gushy feelings. And I love it. It is so incredible. But church, can I tell you, can I tell you even more so, when he says, be holy as he is holy, guys, can we just, in the midst of whatever happens, can we choose to love each other? Because he died for us. From a pure heart. Because we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. In other words, back to our identity. We can love each other because our identity says that what we have can never be taken away from us. What we have is a love and a relationship that is stronger than anything else that we experience. What we have is imperishable. That's the hope, the living hope that we have. So in the midst of whatever suffering, in the midst of whatever pain, in the midst of whatever circumstance that goes on in your life, your identity is this. You're known. You're radically loved. You're called to incredible purpose. Then we can love each other well. Do you hear me? We can put away deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by you may grow into salvation. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. Guys, I want you to hear this. What that literally is saying, even though it sounds kind of weird, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, what that literally is saying is grow. Become more like Jesus. Can I tell you, one of the great tragedies of American culture is this, is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right? Well, the great tragedy is when you're like in your teenage years and early 20s, you're just learning who you are and discovering who you are, so you should learn and experience. But when you're about like 30, 40, 50, this is just the way you are. You're not going to grow. You're not going to change. That is not the Bible. Do you hear me? Philippians says that he's faithful to continue the good work that he started in you. Right? What he literally is saying is that, guys, from now to eternity, the Holy Spirit is in you. He sealed something for you, but he's also working in you, cultivating you, and making you more like Jesus. So can I tell you this right now? You're striving. What you're doing is to look more like Jesus at 99 than you do now. Do you hear me? Every day, we're called to grow, to grow in holiness, to grow in purity, to grow in our likeliness to Jesus. Right? You can't teach an old dog new tricks because the Holy Spirit is in that old dog. Amen? (laughs) Guys, I want you to not miss this. We don't want to be a generation of people who said, I did my work in my 20s and my 30s. We want to say we fought the good fight. We finished the race. May we continue to live out, gird ourselves out for the holiness placed before us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. God, thank you that we are exiles because of your election. In other words, we are set apart because you've loved us. You you set us apart because you chose us. God, you set us apart 